Christ coming to church. You know, you just have this, we used to have this, um, it wasn't a really nice term when we talked about folk that didn't really know how to worship. We called them the frozen chosen. Well, I want you to look around this morning because this is the chosen frozen right here in this room. So if there's any question, go ahead, go ahead. If there's any question about who the true believers are, those participants of the covenant, I want you to look around because they is here. So, you know, the, the, the rest of the uncommitted sissies that couldn't get out and use a shovel this morning, you know, just we, we, we will pray for them from a distance. But our blessings are here. God bless you. All right. Matthew, the fifth chapter. Matthew chapter 5. Now, when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. The Beatitudes. If we've been around the church just for a moment, we've heard a message, a series of messages, read books about the Beatitudes. We love them because we love the sound of blessed are. How many of you love to be blessed? Come on. There we are. Blessed are. And we like the rest that goes with this, the, the inherit parts. The comforted parts, the filled parts of the Beatitudes. But what about the prerequisite conditions? Poor, mourn, meek, hunger, thirst. All prerequisite to getting to the comfort and the inherit and the filled. And all of these poor, meek, hunger, thirst, they all indicate some element, some degree of being empty. Now, we are, after all, Americans. <laughs> Americans. Americans are not empty. Come on, gentlemen, look down at your waistline. You ain't empty. I mean, we are the supersized nation. I mean, forget large. We want extra large. We want the gallon of corn syrup. You understand what I'm saying. Go ahead and put in an IV. Get it over with. Do you remember when McDonald's french fries used to be this little envelope that had six french fries in it? See, some of you don't remember that. You're not that old, okay? I'm not talking about now the vat of potatoes. But we're in a super size. Fill me up. We're Americans. I mean, we're prosperity Protestants. This is, this, is, this is why we show up, so that we can hear. And empty is not part of our paradigm. Full, fuller, fullest. Come on, baby. It's a real question. As a matter of fact, even empty today, when we begin to feel the little pang of need or the little pang of empty if we've maybe, you know, had to, we've slept a little too late and we missed the egg McMuffin on the way out to work. 
And we feel this little pang, you know, all of a sudden we begin to, we begin to get all Pentecostal on ourselves. I rebuke that. Shundai. Pain and discomfort, it feels foreign to us. It's got to be the devil. It can't possibly be God. We're full. You know, a derogatory term that we used to hear, you're full of it. It was never intended as a compliment. And basically what it meant was, somebody would say, you know what, you're really full of it. Basically what it meant was that you are so full of yourself, you're so full of your own words, you're so full of your own knowledge, that there is no availability to have any kind of true dialogue here. You're full, you're full of it. But that begs a question for you and I today. What are we full of? What are we full of? God doesn't waste himself by pouring into something already full. This is something you need to understand about the nature and character of God. God never wastes himself. God is always looking for people who have made space, made provision. He doesn't waste himself into something that even is seemingly full. Revelation, the third chapter, the Spirit prophesying to this church at Laodicea, you say, I'm rich, I've acquired wealth, don't need a thing. Boy, now that sounds like, yeah, that's where I want to get to. Don't need a thing. million bucks in the 401k. Take this job and you know what? Don't need you. Got it. Wealthy. Mortgage paid off. College loans thing of the past. And yet, you don't realize that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Hmm. And you see, that revelation in tandem with the revelation of our inability and inadequacy juxtaposed against his all-sufficiency, but produces something in you and I called humility. Humility. Some years ago, I did a series entitled God Magnets. Those things that attract God to an individual or to a people. And we find, biblically, that one of the God Magnets is humility. God is attracted to that. That's attractive to God. 1 Peter chapter 5. Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. We heard Pastor Donnell earlier this morning speak about brotherly love. Well, let me tell you, if you're going to be in a marriage that lasts longer than the end of the honeymoon, <laughs> humility is something that you go figure out quick. You realize that there was a movie in the 70s, bad movie, horrible movie. It was called Love Story. None of you are that old. Thank goodness you're not. And the catchphrase of the movie was, love is never having to say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Can you say stupid? Let me just tell you. Love is always having to say, I'm sorry. Come on, husbands, let's do a practice round. I'm sorry. There we go. 
Because you begin to realize that if you're going to make this thing work, it's constantly about humility. I was wrong. You mean you actually wanted me to put my glass and the plate in the dishwasher? Just say so, woman. I'm sorry. You'll be eating a lot of Happy Meals after that. Let me just tell you. And alone. Humility toward one another because God opposes the proud, but what he gives grace to the who? The humble. Humble yourselves. Now, I'm not talking about the spray-on variety. You ever seen somebody artificially humble? I'm just so great, I can't stand myself. You've seen it. I'm not talking about the spray-on, hypocritical, pharisaical type. I'm talking about the deep-down, singing the blues inside, I know what I'm not type. Humble yourselves under God's mighty hand very wise, that he may lift you up in due time. Lifting up implies that you are in a what? Low place. This is what humility produces. It doesn't produce height. It produces depth. This is what it does. Pastor Brad has been teaching on on-ramps for God. How do we create these on-ramps for God to step into our lives and situations. And pondering that, I believe one of the prerequisites to God having a ramp is for us to get off the ramp and get out of the way. We need to move. And one lesson that should be obvious, but sadly it takes most of a lifetime to learn, is that God never competes. He doesn't compete for our attention, our affection, our time, or our space. God will just step back and step off. When we say, I got it, I got this, God says, go on with your bad self. You got this, then get it. Go ahead, champ. And many times the reason that There's no on-ramp is that we're the ones firmly in the middle of it. We can't even get out of our own way, much less believe that God has room to step up. And yet, how often and most often, we either create or become part of that competition ourselves. A few weeks ago, I had a rare moment of being in the kitchen with my wife. And she was there with a jar full of something, probably, you know, pickled tree bark with amino acids and essential oils and bran in it or something. I don't know, something that was nastiness fermenting in the refrigerator that I'm sure is good for you. And so she was there, and she was sitting there struggling, trying to get this lid off this jar. And I'm standing there. I said, could I? I got it. Seriously, I, I'd be happy to help. Third time, I should just get, get. Finally, she handed me the jar. And of course, you know, being the manly man that I am, <laughs> I opened the jar and handed it back to her. 
Now, of course, her response was, of course, well, I loosened it first. <laughs> You're right, baby. You, you, you did. You, you loosened it. I just, I just took it on home. It's like, I, I understand. I got it really seriously. But how many times is our relationship with God exactly the same way? We're there, God says, really, I'll be having, we're trying to bind and loose and open and God says, really, and then finally, when we have failed, we hand it off, God opens it up and we say, yeah, but I loosened it. Because of something I did right in my life, because of the great gifting that you get, I loosened it. I paved the way for you, God. And, and you know, God is so, he said, you're right. You loosened it. When in reality, that jar was so stuck, you were never going to get that thing off. And that's really very much what it looks like. Deuteronomy 32, 36 says he'll have compassion on his servants when he sees their strength is gone. Now, might it be that we need to get there quicker? Hold that thought. And God being the patient, paternal, eternal God that he is, he'll wait for us to run out of ourselves before he moves in. And for you and I, that means being emptied. Being emptied. Once again, it's a process that is so foreign to most of our constructs and our paradigms and that which we've heard and we've been taught. Of more and better and most. That whenever we see lack, whenever we see the gas needle beginning to move into the red, we immediately think something's wrong. We immediately see any moment of lack as something that's suspect rather than a divine initiation and setup. For God to come do something. And our inability is always the invitation for God's availability and His ability. It's always when we get to that place of we're done, of manifesting our weakness is often a prelude for God's power. Habakkuk chapter 2. Verses 13 and 14. Has not the Lord determined that the people's labor is only fuel for the fire? That the nations exhaust themselves for nothing. 1 Corinthians 1.25. The foolishness of God wiser than man's wisdom. The weakness of God stronger than man's strength. So empty. What does that really look like? If our being empty is a prerequisite to God's filling, how do we get there? Two easy steps. <laughs> right. The first is handing over. Handing over speaks of those things that we have that he is asking us to hand over to him. We are in the part of the church calendar known as Lent. Not L-I-N-T. L-E-N-T. It's a period of roughly 40 days between Ash Wednesday, which was this past week, and Resurrection Sunday. And throughout the, throughout the ages, the church has acknowledged this as 40 days. 
There are discrepancies as to what the 40 days signifies. Many believe it's the 40 40 days that Jesus was in the desert fasting and being tempted by the devil. But it's 40 days of penance where we give something over, give something up in order to become more aware of our humanity so that we can become more aware of God. And if God is not currently requiring you to hand over something, let me lovingly and pastorally tell you, you aren't listening. If God is not currently asking you to hand over something, you're not listening well. Kingdom life is always about exchange. This is, this is the dynamic of the kingdom of heaven on the earth is exchange. You give up something in order to obtain something. You give up this temporary freedom in order to gain eternal freedoms. It's always about exchange. And I find the longer that I walk with God, almost 40 years now, the less I demand of him and the more he demands of me. I see Christians, I hear it in their prayers. God, it's like a child in Walmart. Except we've got Pentecostal language for it. Maybe we've even got a little biblical apologetic to go with what we're saying. But there's an attitude that says, God, I demand that you do this. God says, let's talk about demands. Because last time I heard that word, there was a hostage situation involved. And you're holding me hostage with your demands. And I got to tell you, the longer I walk with God, I don't demand anything anymore. As I become more aware of the grace and the mercy and what God has already done on my behalf, I'm not making any demands. None. It doesn't mean I don't still ask God for something. Doesn't mean that I don't still approach him, but the way I talk to him is very different. Very different. God's not a moron that I have to yell his word in his ear to remind him of what he has said. He has, he's a covenant God. He hasn't forgotten that. And I don't have to get all militant on him for him to realize what he has done. Something, I better move on. I'm in trouble now. But the process of emptying, so many scriptural precedents to this. Mark 10, the rich young ruler. One thing you lack. Now this, was, this is not some apologetic for Christian poverty or socialism. This was just the thing that had, that this, that had hold of this man. Jesus said, one thing you lack, sell all you have and give it to the poor. Now yeah, he had, he had some stuff. He was wealthy. But Jesus understood there's no way you're going to be able to follow me and inherit the kingdom unless you empty out this other stuff first. Jesus understood that. That's why he said it's very, very hard for a person full of it to enter the kingdom. 1 Kings 17, Elijah's being sent to this widow, a little flour, a little oil, going to cook it. Me and my son, we're going to die, pour out what you have, and there will be flour and oil in that jar as long as there's famine on the land. But she had to empty out what she had, the last of what she had. Second Kings 4, the story, Pastor Brett shared on this last week, the story of the widow 
and the containers, the oil, pouring it out under Elisha, pouring out what she had. And you know that as long as the containers were empty, oil flowed. But when they were full, what happened? The oil stopped. Some of you wonder, why did the oil stop flowing in my life? It's real simple. You're full of it. And you may not be full of the Spirit of Christ either. Full is just full. Here's a little secret. You're never going to get full of God in this realm. It's impossible. It's the limitations of humanity. That is reserved for when you are face to face with him. Then you can be full. But I tell you what, we can cooperate with the process now and get rid of as much of us as we can in order to contain as much of him as he's willing to pour out. The miracle of the loaves and the fishes. Poor kid coming back from the grocery store. Bunch of gnarly fishermen hijack his groceries. His Wonder Bread and his Mrs. Paul fish sticks. And for a moment while he's watching miracle occur, thousands of people, he's just thinking, Mama's going to whoop me. And this is not even a good lie. All this, all this young boy knew was I don't have groceries anymore. And yet at the end, somebody helped him drag 12 basketfuls of leftovers home. But there was a moment he was empty. Moses, what you got in your hand there, Moses? Oh, this is, this is, I like this. Throw it down. Throw it down. And the primary reason we don't hand over is we're afraid that God won't resupply. No more complicated than that. It always comes down to something relational. The reason we don't give, the reason we don't tithe, the reason we don't provide empty chairs, it's not that we don't have it. It's we're just afraid if we give it away, God's not big enough or doesn't love of us enough to resupply it to us. And so we hang on. We hang on. We hang on to our life. We hang on to our stuff, our hurts, our wounds, our unforgiveness. Our expectations, I thought God would. We hang on to our emotions, illegal though they may be at times. And most often, it isn't the bad stuff we're struggling with anymore. Like you, I've got the outside pretty pharisaically cleaned up. I mean, I can tie a double Windsor and say, praise the Lord, hallelujah. I can say brother, sister. I've learned to do the little charismatic hug to the ladies from the side. Got the little charismatic handshake down. Hallelujah. Got, I mean, you know, we, we kind of get this thing figured out here. But on the inside, oh my. And it's not the bad stuff we're hanging on to anymore. It's good stuff for the most part. It's the good stuff. Oh, God, you gave me this. Oh, God, you, you, you provided this house and you, you provided these resources and this job where I'm getting paid now, finally. You provided this amazing spouse and these wonderful children. Jesus says, anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy. And anyone who doesn't take his cross and follow me is not worthy. Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. These are Jesus' words about being empty.
So we hand over. Then the second, we hand off. And it speaks of those things we're not supposed to have or those things we're not supposed to do to begin with. Handing over, there is an expectation of exchange. Handing off, there is, handing off, there is no expectation of anything coming back. You take something from a child many times. Parents, you've learned this very, very quickly. Put something back quickly or you will have a moment. And children love to do this in public. So you always have something you can put back in their hands. And yet, God is wanting for us to hand over some things without any real expectation. He's going to hand it back. Let me give you a few examples. Government. How many of us try to be God? Now, God, now if I was you, this is what I do in this situation about those ISIL boys. God, if I was you, this is, I would heal granny. Now, God, if I was you, you know, I'd, I would, I'd drop some lottery numbers on Pastor Brett and get this building paid. <laughs> Pastor Jim thinks he's a prophet. He should have already had them. And so we take on government all the time. God, this is what I want you to do. This is how I want you to do it. This is when I want you to do it. Chip chop. And yet Isaiah 9 says what? The government will be on his shoulders. It goes on and says, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Government is not something God intends to share. Government belongs to him. Let him have it. Righteousness, Jesus plus, Jesus plus always makes Jesus zero. That's how God math works. That whenever you try to add something to Jesus, to righteousness, to the cross and the blood, you negate it all. And baby, you do that, you better start sacrificing animals and you better brush up on the law. It's never Jesus plus. Romans 3 is very clear about that. A righteousness from God apart from law has been made known. There is no other righteousness. And yet, how many times do we try to take that on and do it ourselves? Destiny. God, I got some ideas for you. This is what I want my life to look like. It's a compendium of a whole lot of different things that I've seen. So we kind of play it, the Holy Ghost version of Pinterest. So we pin up all these things we want in our life. What I want my wife to look like, my children to look like, the college I want them to go to, the car I'm going to drive. So we pin all this stuff up. These are my plans. Here's a little secret. God don't care. Sorry. Jeremiah 29. I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. How many of you look back now and you are so glad a year, five or ten, he didn't give you what you pinned up? Lord have mercy. You'd have been married to that fool? Lord Jesus, help me.
You know exactly what I'm talking. <laughs> and you look at the, your bride of 36 years, 37 years, and it's just like, well, hmm. It wasn't on the board when I was 16, but I was an idiot. You say, well, you're still an idiot, honey. I know that, but, <laughs> but it was exactly what God knew it was his plan. And anything else is Bible calls foolish. Ephesians 5, don't have time to go there. And then lastly, I'll just speak this. Again, these are things we're supposed to hand off is war. It's been done, ladies and gentlemen. We've got a spiritual warfare conference coming up in April. You need to be there. It's going to be great. But I've got to tell you that there's been a real evolution in my life about this. That war has been fought and won. Colossians chapter 2, having disarmed powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them by the cross. And if you look in Ephesians 6, which is our text for spiritual warfare... You know what the common denominator there is? The spirit and standing. That's it. That's why it's called a spiritual warfare. And it says when you've done all else is to do what? Stand and watch. Stand. And all of these areas are areas that you and I need to hand back over to God or hand off to God. Government, righteousness, our destiny, the plans for our life, our war that we're waging. God just says, come on, give it to me. Give it to me. What are you full of this morning? Has the oil stopped flowing? Are you so terrified of being empty? That you're willing to fill it with anything. Folks rolling up, and I know I'm, I know I'm beating up McDonald's. I'm probably going to get in trouble. But people roll up into McDonald's and they just eat and eat. And they're satiated for a moment. And they're starving to death at the same time. They're full and starving concurrently. Boy, if that's not a picture of the church today. Full and starving at the same time. Incredible. We have to make a place for God, and we do that by emptying ourselves. You know who the pattern, you know who set that pattern? Jesus himself. Jesus himself, prior to public ministry, Luke, the fourth chapter, he was led by the Spirit to go into the desert 40 days to be tempted by the devil. He didn't eat. Now, that's a real fast. And it says at the end of that period of time, he says he was, get, he was hungry. <laughs> Jesus was hungry. He was empty. But he says he returned in the power of the Spirit. And that was the launching point for his public ministry. But he realized to do this, I'm going to have to take 40 days and I'm going to have to empty myself in this moment that I can be more filled with the power and the Spirit of God than ever before. Jesus set the precedent for this. This isn't some good idea by a pastor on a Sunday morning. This isn't some idea by the ancients of the church that crafted the liturgical calendar. It's a pattern of Christ. 
of emptying ourselves. He emptied himself of his divinity to come as a man to show that divinity. We shouldn't be surprised when we find ourselves in these places. Stop rebuking it away. Cooperate with it and allow yourself to be filled. Pray with me.